Ahoy hoy! Welcome in. I am Tyrell McLaughlin. You can follow me on Twitter at TNFF Tyrell. Make sure you follow the podcast at True North FFB and follow the man who runs Skynet himself at TCL14. This is the Sleeper Rookie Running Back Series. I'm pretty much just splitting up the lesser-known running backs, laying out both sides, their past, present, athletic profile, college production, and most important, what their upside is at the next level, how we should value them for fantasy football. Every year, there's several running backs from deeper in the draft or UDFAs that not only get their chance, but can also break out for fantasy football. And because running back is so devalued, it's such a volatile position, we have to know all the names at running back. So my aim here is not really to discuss landing spots. I'm recording these just a week or so before the NFL draft, but the purpose is just so they are in the in the podcast feed. So if your team drafts a running back you aren't familiar with, if you have a slow clock rookie draft in the second round and have a few running backs you need to decide between, I'm hoping these will help out. I'm hoping that you can just rock these quick ditties and you should have all the information to make your decision. Because I feel like the running back position, sort of like trades and mock drafts or death and taxes, right? We know they exist, so we just push it out of our minds until we have to address it. Because we know a back or two will surface from this group. It's just extremely difficult to pinpoint exactly who those two will be, right? And that's that's the thing about sleeper running backs. Nobody has a high hit rate on these players. Rookie draft hit rates past round one really show that. So it's best to just know them all, compile them on your roster, and marry who you like the most with the best landing spots. And you know what? I think I just explained 0RB in a nutshell. That's how you build the back end of your running back room, or at least these end up being the running backs who are possibly number one options on the waiver wire in the future. So I just think we can have all these quick hitters to reference if we want some extra info on a guy and we can just fire these up. They're in the TNFF feed, right? Because truthfully, I know these podcasts won't get very many listens, just like these running backs won't have a lot of hits among them. But I do think they'll be really helpful in the instances where they do hit. And I've just always found it difficult to find good information on deeper, deeper running backs, especially all in one stop, you know? So that is my true aim. And I made that a priority this offseason and throughout the, the regular season of college football, just to compile all my stuff on these rookies and have it all in one place. So yawn, let's get to it. That was a long, long run in for a quick hitter, if you ask me. So we have Antonio Gibson on the menu today. My favorite quote sleeper running back in this class, and it's not close. And I'm pumped to do it today because Lance Zerline, who's super plugged in, held in very high esteem, he tweeted out he's yet to find a running back coach who considers Antonio Gibson a wide receiver in the NFL. So basically, it's really safe to assume that NFL teams will view Antonio Gibson as a running back and a super elusive pass catching running back at that. I think the position argument only really cropped back up because for some reason the Combine invited him as a wide receiver, which Antonio Gibson himself said he was surprised by. He was, of course, invited to the Senior Bowl as a running back, which shows that if all teams wanted to see this kid and wanted to see him not as a wide receiver. And really, it's been easy to not waver on Antonio Gibson. The measurements were a huge tip-off. At the Combine, Antonio Gibson came in shorter and heavier than he was listed. He came in 6 feet, 228 pounds. We also had some questions about his catch radius, and I mean, overall, his route running and everything, he would have been a a pretty raw wide receiver prospect, but the measurements at the Combine also exposed his 8 and 5 8 inch hands, furthering the running back narrative. Outside of a couple sub 6 foot wide receivers who will go undrafted, uh, Gibson would have the smallest hands in the wide receiver class, actually. So Buddy's a running back, and his numbers become ridiculous all of a sudden, because that was part of the giant disservice the Combine did Gibson by listing him as a wide receiver, right? His 122.8 speed score is 99th percentile, just off the Richter. And I mentioned he came in at 228 pounds. Only three players in the last decade have run a faster 40 than Antonio Gibson at 225 plus pounds. Niall Davis, <laughs> and then Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley. 
So I'm not drawing any comparisons, but that is how much of a weight-adjusted freak that Antonio Gibson is. So let's get into him here. There's there's a few statements to preface the whole Gibson love fest we're about to embark upon here, and I'm sure you'll hear a lot of these. Number one, he's a hard evaluation because of the tiny sample size. It's a really small sample size, and it's risky falling too hard for a player who didn't touch the ball 100 times in Division One football. We'll also hear how raw Antonio Gibson is, specifically how little experience he has. But when we hear things like this, we have to remember how high his ceiling is for fantasy football and that a team who comes with running back market share in their offense, that would provide Antonio Gibson with a nice floor as well. And on that note, a team is getting a big explosive running back with some power and he's going to make people miss in space and how elusive he is, that translates to the NFL in my opinion. And like Antonio Gibson, he stops and starts and changes directions on a dime. So yeah, he can make you miss. And if you have your hands on him, he can break free. And then he has that explosiveness to, to go upfield or laterally in, a, in just a flash. He's just gone after that. And anecdotally, like Antonio Gibson is just a running back made for 2020. And there's more teams than ever willing to weaponize and prioritize an Antonio Gibson. And he has the football IQ. I mean, the vision is questionable. What can you really take away from 33 carries? But maybe he does rush things a little bit, pressuring the line of scrimmage. But where he trumps for fantasy is he will just kill defenses in the passing game. A total mismatch for linebackers. He should run a ton of wheel routes and options. He can be put in the slot anytime. And he's just going to be super dangerous on even swing passes and stuff. And when we're talking about Antonio Gibson, I think his special teams contributions go really under-talked about as well. So even if he falls to day three or later in the NFL draft, his special teams upside, it still gives him a path to playing time. So really a team gets a running back in Antonio Gibson who can play in all facets of the game, can be moved around the formation, and a running back with zero tread on his tires, by the way. So I will talk about some of the drawbacks before we part ways, but the upside is so high and his cost in fantasy football won't be so high that the risk isn't worth it at any point this offseason. So why do we know so little about such an exciting prospect and why does he have such little production for Antonio Gibson? Let's roll his story really quick here. So Antonio Gibson, he ran track, played safety, wide receiver, basketball, all the stuff in high school, but he ended up in the junior college ranks. He played at the all-prestigious East Central Community School, uh, the East Central Community School, the Warriors. Uh, They play in the Mac JC, if you give a f***. And Gibby didn't even tear it up either, but the team was truly awful. And a reminder, he played wide receiver there, of course. So eventually he transferred to Memphis as a wide receiver and he saw very little action in his first season there and he was never getting used as a running back in 2018 at all, which makes sense because we look back at that Memphis backfield consisted of Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, and Patrick Taylor at that point. And Patrick Taylor, he's another running back in this 2020 class, another sleeper I'm excited to hit and am higher on than the market too. But we're on Antonio Gibson, his teammate, who I am much higher on for fantasy football. But Patrick Taylor does have lines in this play because in 2019 with Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard gone to the NFL, we saw Patrick Taylor get banged up. We saw the PT Cruiser go into the shop midseason. And really, if you're an Antonio Gibson fan, the rest is history. (laughs) But what's amazing is that despite Taylor's injury occurring in week two, Antonio Gibson didn't see his first carry until week five, marking his first carry in Division I football. But once we saw Gibson, he was impossible to keep off the field. And so let's just look at his total college production profile. It's a gas. So just 77 touches in college, but 1,203 yards from scrimmage. That's over 15 and a half yards per touch. And then by the way, 71 of 77 touches came in his final season. Just six touches in 2018. Overall, Gibson had 834 yards receiving on 44 catches. So 19.3 yards per reception in his college career. 
which yeah, we could say lots of use as a wide receiver. Still looking at his yards per reception just compared to the wide receiver class, there's like 60 wide receivers in this draft with 35 plus catches in college. Antonio Gibson's 19.3 career yards per reception ranks first among wide receivers. And so if we start looking at his rushing production, it's even more limited. Just 33 carries on the football card for Antonio. However, he did manage 369 rushing yards, 11.2 yards per carry. On his 77 touches, Antonio Gibson scored 14 touchdowns as well. Almost 20% of his touches went for a score at Memphis. By far the highest of any player with rushing in their profile. Which is to say, his touchdown rate would be top 5 amongst the wide receiver class. And it just absolutely smashes anybody in the running back class. The asterisk on the touchdown numbers and even some of the big plays I'll go through. The Memphis offense, their line, a lot of free lanes and stuff. And then even some of Gibson's numbers, they're just propped up by huge plays. A few deep catches that build up his receiving production. But when you watch him in 2019, just a bunch of awesome plays on tape. And some of them came versus the best competition he played against. And then I also think it just, we really have to remember the coaching staff and the audience, us, we just had no idea what we had until week five of his senior season, right? So just 71 touches in 2019, but he broke 33 tackles on those 71 touches. That is a nice broken tackle rate. Then I said, I want to mention the big plays. He was a chunk yard station. 11 of Antonio Gibson's 33 carries went for 10 plus yards. That's 33%. But this is, of course, where we cite how incredibly small his sample size is. Like a 33% explosive run rate is as unrepeatable as Jeff Goldblum's little experiment in Jurassic Park when he's hitting on Sam Neill's girl, like right in front of him. Still not clear on chaos. Oh, oh, it, 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 it uh, simply uh, deals with uh, predictability and complex systems. Why? Because tiny variations, uh, the, the orientation of the hairs on your hands. Yeah, hey, look at this. Um, the amount of blood distending your vessels, imperfections in the skin. Imperfections in the skin? See, here I am now by myself uh, uh, talking to myself. That's, that's chaos theory. But for reference, Anthony McFarlane had the highest percent of his carries go for 10 plus yards in this class. And his explosive run rate was just under 23%. Over 10% lower than Antonio Gibson's. But yeah, we know his sample size is about five times smaller than any other running back in this draft class. Jonathan Taylor, A.J. Dillon, J.K. Dobbins, and Zach Moss all had 21 times the sample size on the ground. <laughs> and so if we wade into his passing work, it's again just off the charts, but it's hard to gauge its true meaning because Antonio Gibson had some work as a wide receiver, even on go routes and stuff. We can remember his deep touchdown against SMU. So it is hard to quantify some of it in relation to him being a running back, but it's still fun to shine the spotlight on how efficient this guy was in 2019 at the college football level. So 17 of his 38 catches went for 15 plus yards, pretty much almost 50%. So yeah, not really able to compare that to the running back class because of all the context there, but only a few running backs hit the 25% mark for explosive passing plays. And even though he had just 71 touches and only the one year of playing time, Antonio Gibson would lead the running back class in 25 yard catches. But why it bears mentioning is if we compare it to the wide receiver room, we have to say again that he accomplished what he did on far less volume than others. But Antonio Gibson's 44.7% explosive play rate in the passing game, that would have ranked just outside the top five in the wide receiver class just behind Henry Ruggs. And if we're looking overall in college football from last season in 2019, Antonio Gibson ranks 13th overall. No position filters, no nothing. 15.5 yards per touch, 13th in the nation. And just keep hammering home the upside in the passing game, him and his quarterback had one of the best connections in college football, a 148.3 passer rating when targeting Antonio Gibson. 
And to Mary's elusiveness with the big plays in the passing game, Gibson led the nation in yards after the catch per reception, minimum 50 targets among all wide receivers. And then just the last feather in his college production profile cap, the special teams upside. It, uh, really, this is a hot take, but I just swear Antonio Gibson's going to play out exactly how David Johnson did in Arizona. Like a team's going to take him in the third round because they love him. He's going to flash in the return game and they're going to have to get this guy on the field. Because his 28.0 return average was top 10 in college football last year on 23 returns, so a very good sample size there. So yeah, this guy, Antonio Gibson, he can be used in every facet of the game. And actually, before I roll out, I do want to bust some myths really quick because I've heard some people say this. Well, Antonio Gibson, he put up his numbers because running backs always do in Memphis, and he did it because Patrick Taylor was hurt, inferring he compiled his stats and played sensationally while Taylor was out. But that's actually false. And I hinted at it off the top that he was hurt in week two. Gibson didn't even see a carry till week five. And it really couldn't be more of a case where, where a team gets a guy on the field they've never seen and they say, we should, you know, see more of this guy. And that's exactly how it played out for Antonio Gibson at Memphis. And just kind of show some proof in the pudding. He had five games, Antonio Gibson, over 100 yards from scrimmage last year. Three of them came after Patrick Taylor returned from his injury to finish the season. So yeah, they just recognized Antonio Gibson's talent, couldn't keep him out of the game plan because nobody could stop this guy. And man, easily his best tape and the game that really illuminates the upside for Gibson, it's the SMU game. SMU was undefeated at the time. Antonio Gibson went out and scored in three separate ways against them. He could have had five touchdowns in that game, just stopped short of the goal line on one of his catches and also one, almost a beautiful one-handed uh, touchdown grab as well. But in that game, he scored 97-yard return touchdown, also posted 130 yards receiving in a score and added 97 yards on the ground and another rushing touchdown. I think that's also a game where you see some of the separation he created on a handful of plays versus defensive backs. There's a great play where he's running out of the slot, just great adjustment to the ball in the air. And a lot of it, I just, I can't wait to see this guy used on a wheel route. Like, you just see his great IQ, you can see him burn guys, and there's just so much to see with Antonio Gibson in such a small sample size with him. And I mean, there is other games, like another game you'll see is the ACC championship game. And with Memphis up 27-24, just over three minutes left on the clock, you'll also see Antonio Gibson's 29-yard touchdown run ice the game, just sealing the deal. And I found the Cotton Bowl against a top 10 team in Penn State a good watch for pass catching upside and his versatility. He had six catches just under 100 yards receiving versus that tough opponent. So I don't want to go too long here. So what are some of the drawbacks with Antonio Gibson? Most of it really is just how unproven he is, how limited the information is to go on with him, or how reliable is that data, whatever. Because yeah, he comes into the NFL with only one game with more than six carries, and I mentioned he was involved alongside Taylor in 2019, but he actually failed to carry Patrick Taylor in any game once he returned to the lineup. And when you talk about his use in year one or for fantasy or whatever, I think there are takeaways because of the lack of volume. Like we won't expect him to come in and get short yardage duties and a goal line role is hard to imagine right away. But I also want to note that I think anybody putting too much stock into his vision as a runner, even his decision making, I think that could all be premature for sure. And actually, I tend to pull positives away when I watch a player who hadn't seen a carry in the previous 18 months and then is thrust into the running back position and does very well. Call me crazy. I actually have soft spots for those Ryan Tannehills who convert from wide receivers and Michael Hardman who converts from cornerback. I always like those guys a little bit more. I see the upside there. But yeah, short yardage stuff, probably not in our projections, right? He really has no experience handling a workload, obviously. No reps, that's what we're getting at. And then the worries are that he has no experience pushing the pile, right? No feel for pressing the line. And it's all because he wasn't asked to carry the ball in any traditional sense. And that's because almost all of his carries were out of power concept. He, almost every single carry he had were from split back shotgun alignment. Maybe one or two that didn't. 
And that probably means that's also safe to assume early success running the ball. It could be contingent on his landing spot, specifically how many gap power concepts they run or can incorporate in the run game. Because yeah, like it's just so hard to evaluate him as a runner. The other concern I wanted to elaborate on, just like the vision stuff, but I have far more conviction on this one, guys. And it has a lot to do with the fact that every single carry we saw from him came out of a split back shotgun alignment. So the other one I don't like to hear is that people are saying he runs with an upright style. What is an upright style? In my opinion, that is what a running back does when they engage in contact and have a free hand active. Some running backs, I see it. Like, do I think it's debilitating? Not real. It's a total cop-out. You think we're in the wrong on this one? Still in the wrong! This is egregious, do you hear me? Egregious! And uh, maybe I'll break down really quick how I feel about it, because why do I not get this whole running upright thing? Well, the theory is tied to just running faster. It's a track and field concept. It's not a football concept. So already, it seems like something running backs should care about during their 40-yard dash more than we should care about when we're evaluating prospects. So if you ask a scout why they care about it, they'll say something about how you absorb contact and that it leaves you susceptible to more injuries. Even if that is true, the correlation would be nowhere near the level of predisposition or soft tissue track records, anything like that. It would be fourth on the list, and it would be behind luck. And why I really don't pay it much mind is somebody will say it about a running back who never, it never occurred to me, or I'll notice it in a running back, and because of his production, nobody seems to mind. And then there's also backs like Chris Brown back in the day, or Latavius Murray. There's just so many examples. Even somebody like Steven Jackson, one of my favorite running backs growing up, he marks a guy who everybody said it about, and it was news to me. So anyways, like the, the X's and O's, like drop your shoulder in the trenches, but in open space, one-on-ones, your running style is nowhere near the top of the list when it comes to why anything happens in football. And same with relating it to injuries. It would be the fourth best answer as to why something happened. So rant over, I mean, there's always outliers as well, you know. I think of uh, that rugby guy, Jared Jared uh, Haynes or Hines, the rugby dude uh, the 49ers brought in. He just tore it up in the preseason never heard from again and that was the discussion about the guy he was so upright so yeah that must have been must have been his downfall anyways uh, Antonio Gibson I don't want to spend time on this Antonio Gibson is not part of that debate even if some want it to be number one he had 33 carries number two half of them he was untouched and he also scored on 12 percent of his carries I also saw him drop his shoulder a few times so no clue where the upright running came into the tape and to be honest he's kind of hop stepping right away when he gets the ball anyways because of the formations they run at Memphis and basically just to cap off that argument I love how we can never quantify that really like what are the NFL hit rates for running back one seasons in fantasy for running backs who run upright you know because I can sure name a dozen who had that label and went on to be RB1s. And so, you know, lastly, with Antonio Gibson, we'll have to wait and see how he does in pass protection, especially with his easiest path to playing time in year one, probably being a team's third down back. He has zero experience in that arena as well. He just was not asked to pass block at Memphis. But yeah, you have to think his physical makeup, it's encouraging on that front. Super awesome lower half. You know, he's just built. We love the way he's put together. So I'm not checking that box or anything, but I think he'll he'll be better than okay. I think he'll be a really solid pass protector in the backfield when asked to do it. So I'll get out of here, but clearly I am really high on Antonio Gibson from a fantasy football perspective. And if you disagree with some or even all of what I've said, just don't focus on the disagreements. I I, I say focus on his price. Because for Antonio Gibson, his draft capital in the NFL will be very telling. I could be out on a limb saying he could go as early as, say, pick 53 overall. But lots of folks are still saying fourth round territory. But if rookie drafts dictate, we are accumulating share after share after share of Antonio Gibson. And he'll be on every 0RB truther's big board and redraft as well. 
So thanks so much for joining me. Follow me on Twitter at TNFF Tyrell. Follow the podcast at True North FFB. And make sure you go out, get this versatile weapon. Antonio Gibson is the man. He's just tailor-made for the NFL right now. If Ty Montgomery was David Webb, Antonio Gibson would be Jason Bourne. You! <laughs>